0: For the last couple of weeks, we've been in this uh, series about spiritual gifts, and we've been discussing uh, their variety, their unity, and today we're going to be discussing their profitability. And so our key verse that we've been looking at is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And we've looked at these from multiple angles and discussed spiritual gifts uh, at large. And today, we will continue our series and look at their profitability. What we mean by that phrase, the profitability of the gifts, is the purpose of spiritual gifts. Today what we want to discuss is the purpose of all spiritual gifts. If we could bundle them all up, put them into one category and discuss their purpose, that's where we want to go today. What are spiritual gifts meant to accomplish think about that real quick. Maybe as you saw that list that we passed out to you last week, maybe you got an opportunity to look through that and to look at the list and to look at yours and maybe find ones that you seem to fit into or ones you don't. Real quick, just step away from that list for a second and summarize them all. What's the purpose? Why does God give us those variety of gifts in others possibly? And what's the goal? What's the end goal when it comes to spiritual gifts? Today we will see that spiritual gifts were meant to be and are meant to be profitable or to produce results. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. See, spiritual gifts, they're, they're amazing, aren't they? Spiritual gifts are spectacular. And the conversation can be a little bit confusing. Confusing. Maybe you grew up thinking about this, wrestling with this, and heard different dialogues and conversations and where people land uh, can be a little bit confusing. We love to discuss, maybe even sometimes argue the list. We share our experiences when it comes to the gifts, ones that you've seen displayed, ones you've seen God use in your own life. We love to think about and discover the gifts that we might have maybe identify ones we don't think we, we do have. But I think the key question that we should wrestle with is what are they for? That's where we'll find unity. That's where the conversation should go. Regardless of what we disagree upon when it comes to the list or even the active ones we see today, it is very important that we agree upon their purpose, spiritual gifts' purpose, I think if we correctly understand and agree upon their purpose, then maybe the details that we disagree upon won't seem so divisive. Have you ever been in a conversation that seems divisive? People get angry or upset about spiritual gifts. If we agree upon the purpose, I think we'll see each other as brothers and sisters, even if we disagree on some of these so our text that we've been reading each week has been clearly showing you the purpose of every spiritual gift. You've read it for the last two weeks. You've heard it and you've seen it. Let me read it for you again. Verse seven says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And why? It's this last phrase. For the common good. You've seen that the last couple of weeks. There it was. Clearly stated, the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the common good. This final phrase is where we're headed today. To better understand what it means that all spiritual gifts are for the common good. Think about this. Just just reflect on this for a moment. Every person in this room, okay? Look around the room just for a second. Every person in this room who professes Christ as Lord is given manifestations of the Spirit. That's awesome. That's incredible to think about the potential and the power in this room. These gifts, here's what we learned from verse 11 in chapter 12: these gifts are from the Lord. That's the unity. We're all in unity because all of our spiritual gifts come from the same source, the Lord and they are appointed to each as he wills. That's what verse 11 says. That's the variety. So in this room should be unity and variety. Same source, multiple different gifts. That's pretty awesome. This room is filled with potential to be used for the Lord and to make a difference and an impact. But our text also tells us the why he does this. Why does he give spiritual gifts in a variety? For the common good. So, what does that phrase mean? For the common good. If I were to ask you for a definition right now or to ask you to write down a definition of what you think for the common good means, maybe in your notes, we could probably go around the room and multiple people would have different answers. I think it's the common good of this or for this or probably have some variety there. So, I want to bring some clarity to the phrase. For the go- common good today. Maybe, maybe this simple illustration will help. I grew up in the state of Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up most of my elementary, middle school, high school years. I even went to college in Pennsylvania. The, if you go to the Pennsylvania's website, it, they call themselves the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Did you know that? We know it as a state. But Pennsylvania de- calls themselves the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, A commonwealth means, here's what that phrase means. A commonwealth is a traditional English term for a political community founded for the common good of the people. That's what a commonwealth is. It is used symbolically to emphasize that this state has a government based on the common good of the people and for no other reason. That was why this state was established. This was its vision statement, its purpose statement. We are for the common good of the people. Does that sound familiar? Think about this real quick. Okay, think about Pennsylvania. The largest city in Pennsylvania is, good job, Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. It was a little weak. Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of Oh, that was better. The city of brotherly love. That's right. Think about that in terms of this commonwealth, the name of this city, the city of brotherly love. Pennsylvania was built on the idea of living for the common good of others. That was its purpose, its mission statement. They were supposed to use their resources not only for their good, but for the common good of their neighbors, That was the vision. That was the hope. Quick trivia question, in case your mind wanders during this this sermon. Name the three other states that refer to themselves as the Commonwealth instead of a state. So you can chew on it. Oh, you guys are smart. You guys are smart. There's three other states that refer to themselves as Commonwealth. So think about that real quick. Pennsylvania, Commonwealth, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is that, that... Analogy that illustration is what we're supposed to think about. I think that's a great illustration for what should come to mind our minds when we look at First Corinthians chapter 12. Spiritual gifts are given to individuals, but they aren't for that individual's benefit, they're for the common good of others. We are all given these gifts and abilities, but we weren't meant to use them apart from the community we are meant to live in. Each one is given gifts and abilities for the common good of the local church, for each other. Pennsylvania's dream is what the church should be like. People living for the good of others. It's a good illustration, I think. I think we are meant to think of spiritual gifts less like Christmas gifts, and more like tools, okay? Think about Christmas gifts for a second. A good Christmas gift is meant to be self-serving a little bit, fun. It's supposed to be personal for your benefit and enjoyment, right? Like a great Christmas gift is a toy, right? That's a great Christmas gift. Where a tool, a tool is supposed to accomplish a task and is for the common good of the family, right, guys? We buy tools because we're servants, wives. When I go to Home Depot and buy a tool, you should say, thank you. That's right. You're welcome. This is why I need a new riding lawnmower, because I want to serve my family. That's right. Maybe not. but have you, ever, have you ever, guys, have you ever bought a tool and you've never used it? We all have, right? Oh, I need this. It'll really serve our family. This is exactly what I need. Let's not let that be true of our spiritual gifts. Let's not let it be a tool we have access to, we've been given, and yet it sits in the garage unused. We're supposed to use them and produce results for the common good. Whatever spiritual gift or gifts you have been given, they are given to you with much expectation, attach them. See, God gave you these spiritual gifts with the expectation of constant use and profitable return. That's the expectation. If you don't mind, I want you to flip to one other text today. It's Matthew chapter 25. Do you mind turning there with me real quick? This is a parable about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the talents. Before I read it to you, I want to ad- admit that this is a parable about God's kingdom and how it was meant to work. It's not specifically about spiritual gifts. I understand that. But the, the story is about God's generosity to his servants, and he gives them to us to be, to, he entrusts them to us to use and bring a return. So this parable would include spiritual gifts. It's not specifically about spiritual gifts, but it would include spiritual gifts. I would like to read it for you. It's Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. As I read, think about spiritual gifts in particular. Verse 14, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. Here we have a generous master in our story, right? That's our story. We have a generous master who entrusts his servants with his property and his possessions. He entrusts them with it, care for it, use it and he gives it to them to use, and there's an expectation of heavy use and profitability. This is yours, but you better use it, and you better be, be profitable with it. Now, I understand, please understand in the text, that talents in this text does not refer to talents, like you think of. It, it refers to large bags of money. This is a generous master entrusting large bags of money to his servants. But the analogy is true for anything given to us by God, not just the money he gives us. Our spiritual gifts are meant to be used and expected to produce results. We learn from this parable that a misuse of our spiritual gifts would be to hide them, to not use them or as we move along in our sermon today, to use them for your own good and not the common good. That's what our text teaches us. You've been blessed. You've been entrusted. God has been generous to you to give you what you have, but it has expectations on it to be used and to be profitable. You're supposed to bring back a return with what God gives you. It's a quick question before we move on. Are you using your gifts? Have you identified your gifts? Are you using them? Are you working hard? Are you producing a return? Is that your desire? So that's the parable of the talents that Jesus teaches us. But now, if you don't mind, flip back in your Bibles, back to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What is interesting is Paul is in his dialogue about the local church and spiritual gifts. He gives an illustration. Paul now goes into an analogy. What is interesting is that Paul's example of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians is not of a tool, it's not of a bag of money, but rather of the human body and its individual parts. That's where Paul goes. He's thinking about how we've been blessed, how there's unity and variety, profitability, and his mind runs to the human body. And he's like, this is a good illustration for how spiritual gifts are to work. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'd like to read for you verses 12 through 26 to see where Paul goes with this illustration. It'll be very helpful. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. that there may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So where Paul goes. He's thinking about spiritual gifts, unity, variety. He's like, that's a lot like the body, the different body parts and how they all work together for the common good. I want to point out three things that this text teaches us about the body when it's working properly and about spiritual gifts. Let me point out three things that we just read that should pop off the page to you when it speaks to spiritual gifts. Maybe think about this local church and and this body and how we work together and how we ought to work together. Number one, when it comes to spiritual gifts, one body part or one spiritual gift is not better than another really important to Paul in this text. You see, some parts of the body get more attention than others, but that doesn't make the body part more significant. Isn't that true of spiritual gifts and how that works in the church many times? Sometimes we seem to honor certain spiritual gifts more than we do others. We seem to do that sometimes. But that, Paul says, is a tragedy to the church. For us to honor other ones and to ignore others, that's a tragedy. Every gift is a blessing from God to our church to help us thrive, to help us work like we ought to. Every member of our church has varying needs, right? You walked into this building today with varying needs. And then every member of this church is blessed with varying gifts in order to meet those varying needs. Isn't that beautiful? That's how God created and designed the church. All of us come in with prayer requests, hurts, concerns, worries, inabilities, and then he granted you, he gifted you a local church that has giftings of those very things inside of it. So you came with needs, and this church is is blessed with the ability to meet those needs. So we can't pick certain ones and say, man, those are the ones you need All of us have varying needs and need to be blessed by the gifts of the others. It's one of the beauties of the local church that every single body part is is necessary. Number two that this text teaches us is that each part, each spiritual gift is different, it's unique, and it's important. Every single one is unique and important. See, sometimes in the church, we look for uniformity, right? Right? Maybe there's a spiritual gift that we have and so we look for others that are like us or we want to create an army of people that are similar to us, that have the same giftings. Instead, maybe, or, and even sometimes churches are scared of uniqueness. They're comfortable with a certain set of spiritual gifts and other spiritual gifts make them nervous. Maybe it's harder to control or makes them a little worried. I think the text teaches us that this is also a misstep, that we should appreciate and desire the unique gifts of each member of the church family because they're gifts from God. And it reminds us that one body part isn't supposed to be jealous of the other body parts. They should all be content with the role that they play. See, the children's ministry worker shouldn't be jealous of the musician, just because the musician gets some stage time, should be grateful for the role that they play. In the same way, a small group leader shouldn't be jealous of the evangelist just because they see converts. All of us should know we play a role. We all have a piece in this together for the good of the church. Instead, all of us should just be grateful for the unique gifts that God bestows upon the church and see that as beautiful See, I don't know if you've ever interacted with this, but I have. There's some churches that produce mini-me's of their senior pastor. Have you ever seen that? He's got a certain gifting and leaning, and the church just simply produces multiples of him. I think that's a a misstep. We should see and, and promote and give opportunity to all to use the spiritual gifts that God has given them and be grateful for them. I don't think the goal of spiritual gifts is uniformity. I think the goal is uniqueness and to be grateful for that. And the last thing that this text teaches us about the human body and about spiritual gifts is that they're all interdependent. Do you notice that? All spiritual gifts, the church, is interdependent upon each other. Each one is completely necessary and vital for a healthy church. We need them all. We need every single one of you to use your gifts, to, to get to work. That's what creates a healthy church, is when everyone is, is busy and active and using the gifts that they were, that they were given. That every one of them knows their tool and is using it for the good of the church. See, a healthy church is not that just has a great preacher. A healthy church is where each member plays his or her part for the common good Of the body. We need each other. Aren't you grateful for each other? The vastness and of gifts and abilities. We need each other. And something is lacking if we don't use all the gifts that we've been given. That's a sick church. That's a a broken church. If we're not using all the gifts that we've been given. See, Paul's point is this: the church is a body. It's like a body. When one part isn't functioning, the whole body feels it. You ever felt that way? You got a piece of your body that's not working, and your whole body just groans. That's the church. When one piece isn't working, the whole body feels it. So how's, how's our body doing today? How's the church? Are you, are you playing your part? Are you doing your piece? Are you using the spiritual gift that God has given you for the, for the good of the church? How you doing? But I have a question. We've talked a lot about the local church. We've talked about, and I think that's the context of 1 Corinthians 12 through 15, is Paul is talking about the local church and its gifting. So is that, is that where it ends though? Is your spiritual gift only for the local church? So you guys showed up at 10.30, you check out at noon. Is that where your spiritual gift ends? kind of go away or does it reappear at small group time or a wanna night and then kind of fade away or are spiritual gifts 24-7 type of things? Right. They don't they're not just confined to this building. Your spiritual gift is bigger than just the local church, even though it is for the local church. The second way that we're supposed to use and spiritual gifts are given to us for is for the world, for the spread of the gospel. We can't forget the mission that Jesus is on. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And then he gave the church his mission to continue and empowered them with spiritual gifts. See, the church isn't supposed to hide. We're not supposed to hide. The local church was always supposed to be a sending missional church. We've always gathered and then scattered using the gifts that God has given us. We weren't, we were meant to, to live among people who don't yet believe. That's how you were supposed to live. Gather together, the called out ones, the ecclesia, but then live amongst those who don't yet believe, who need to hear the gospel. And then he promised us, Jesus promised us right before he left, that he would be with us to the end of this age and he would strengthen us and he would help us to accomplish this task. Why? Because you're not strong enough. Because I'm not strong enough, not good enough to accomplish the mission that Jesus came. We need him. We need the spirit. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. To serve the church, but to also reach the lost. How are you doing? Are you fulfilling that piece as well? Every spiritual gift has a missional component to it. Remember that list we handed out last week? Hopefully you took some time to look through it, to read it, to find ones that you kind of connect with. Look at the list. Every single one of those has a missional component to it, to be used in the local church and to reach the lost, to tell the world about Jesus, to be used to help others to come to know Christ. You see, most of your life is spent outside the church, not inside these walls, Most of your life is spent with those who need to hear about Jesus. And guess what? Your spiritual gift goes with you. It's with you, and it's it's there to be used all the time. It's not a tool we just use when we gather. It's a tool to be used generously, used often for the good of the world, for the spread of Jesus. But lastly, I think the last piece or purpose, that phrase, for the common good, that last good that it's for is for the fame of Jesus. Pastor Todd mentioned this verse last week, and I loved it. It's brought so much clarity to me on this idea of spiritual gifts. It's from 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. And it clearly reminds us what the purpose of spiritual gifts is or what that common good is. It's for the fame of Jesus. Let me read it for you one more time. It says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There it is. What's the common good? The fame of Jesus and the glory of God. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. The fame of Jesus and the glory of God. And the verse ends this way. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Your spiritual gift is for the fame of Jesus and the glory of God. Spiritual gifts are ultimately to make much of him, to spread his fame and his glory to those that many would worship Jesus for the glory of God. As we kind of wrap up this conversation about spiritual gifts, I want to take just a few moments to discuss some cautions. Maybe as you've grown up in the church or watched the church from the outside, maybe you've seen some misuse of spiritual gifts. So, I just told you what I believe are the three uses of spiritual gifts for the common good. I've kind of diagnosed that to kind of dissect that for you. But maybe you're thinking, I've seen some misuse. Yeah, let's talk about those just for a moment. What are some potential misuses of spiritual gifts that maybe you've seen or that we should be cautious of in our own life? Here's number one spiritual gifts aren't for your glory or your fame. What did we just say? What was the last one? For the fame of Jesus and the glory of God, not for your fame or your glory. If you are becoming, let's say you're using your spiritual gift and God is blessing and you're becoming famous. Or people are flocking to you because of your spiritual gift. And you are not pointing them back to Jesus Instead, you're accepting that praise and that glory. If you're not pointing them back to Jesus, then you're misusing your gift. God does bless. He is gracious. It's very possible that people could be interested in that, attracted to that. Like, man, wow, that's a gift. That's a a talent. That's ability. They're great at that. It's possible. People are followers that they could start following you. But if you don't return it to Jesus, if you don't reflect it to Jesus... That's a misuse. Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever seen people do that and accept the fame, accept the glory? They believe they are awesome. That's a misuse. We must be careful of taking the gifts and using them for our own benefit instead of the owner of the gift's benefits. That's the parable of the talents. That's what the reminder is, a return. You're entrusted with these Also, we've got to be careful of pride. I don't know what it is about spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts have a great tendency to create pride, don't they? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever met somebody who's been gifted and blessed by God, but they're a monster? It seemed to have crept into their head and their heart. They start believing that they're great, that they're wonderful. Man, that's a misuse of the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts have a tendency to create pride instead of what they were supposed to create, which is humility and gratitude. The moment you see God show up in your life and do something great, it shouldn't create pride as if you did it. It should create a, God, wow, you used me? Man, I'm completely humbled that you would choose to use somebody like like me to do something for you. See, when God does empower you to do something for him, be very careful of thinking you were great. That's not where the power came from. Remember, it's a gift and it's a tool, not a bragging right. Give it back to who deserves it, the one who gave it to you. Second, caution or misstep happens with spiritual gifts a lot of time is spiritual gifts are not for your good or your wealth. Remember, it's for the common good, not your good or your wealth. If your spiritual gift is profiting you and not others, it's a misstep. Spiritual gifts are for the common good, not for your good. Paul talks about this in chapter 14. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, Paul goes into a conversation in chapter 14 about these incredible gifts, these miraculous gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy, right? He goes into that dialogue, but then he gives his own warnings and cautions. He's like, man, these are awesome. They're powerful. God uses them in mighty ways, but be careful, because people will be attracted to that and they'll think they're awesome. Be careful. Know their purpose. It's for someone else. Spiritual gifts, is, is, or, um, speaking in tongues, is for the hearer. A word of prophecy is for the hearer. They need to be edified by that. They need to be built up. They need to grow through that. Even those great, miraculous healing. Healing's not for you. It's for the individual who's recovered by that. It's for the individual. If it's only for your good, it's a misstep. This is where we see a lot of misuse around spiritual gifts. Have you ever interacted with this one? Somebody uses the gifts and abilities God's given them for their fame or their wealth or their good. Let's be very cautious about this. Let's make sure we understand it's for the good of others, for the common good. And then the last caution This one's probably more practical. This one's probably happening a little bit more inside of this building that we need to be cautious of, that we need to be aware of. Spiritual gifts are not to make you work less. They're not to make you lazy. See, if you are leaning on your spiritual gift as an excuse not to work hard, that's a misstep. That's a misuse of your spiritual gift. Or if you're using your lack of a spiritual gift in order not to work at all, that would be a misstep or a misuse of spiritual gifts. You see, we're never told to only use the gifts we've received. Instead, we're told to desire the other spiritual gifts. That's what Paul says. Ask for those. Ask for more blessing. Ask to be used more, a bigger impact. Ask God to have a greater influence in the world not to lay back and just rest on the ones you have and the ones you think you have they're not meant to make us lazy they're only able to, they're only there to allow us to have a greater impact our job is to live a life of active obedience to god and then know that he will empower you to do whatever he calls you to do that's the purpose of spiritual gifts That's why I think we kind of lean on the side of don't get too defined by the spiritual gift you think you have. Don't label yourself. Understand that it's the pouring out of the Spirit upon your life to empower you to do whatever He's called you to do at any moment. Allow the Spirit to lavishly pour upon you whatever He desires at at any moment. Take take the example of teaching, for example. I think this this will help make sense. Teachers aren't told to only teach. That's not, that's not a verse. And neither are they told to just show up and teach, which would be laziness, right? You ever heard of a guy like, oh, I'll just wing it. I can do this. You know how many times I've done this, I'll be fine. No, that's not, that's not the command either. Teachers should work hard at their teaching and then also work hard at things that don't fall into the teaching category. That just seems to be an area of blessing in their life. This is why it's wise to not focus too much on your gift. Instead, know God supplies to you exactly what you need to accomplish his will. One of my favorite things as a youth pastor is to take students on missions trips, get them out of their comfort zone, take them to a place they're not familiar with, somewhere that they're scared to death, and give them a responsibility. Like, go share your testimony. They're like, what? Hey, go do street evangelism. Go go talk to people that you don't normally interact with. It scares them to death. But it creates a moment where they're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. God, I got to do this. I'm not good at this. I need you to show up. My favorite time is testimony time that night. They're like, I did it. I opened my mouth. I talked. I shared. Like, man, that's awesome. You're exactly right. That's how spiritual gifts work. Be obedient. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to do what you don't normally do. That's how spiritual gifts are supposed to work. It's incredible. Be obedient, and spirit will empower. See, if your spiritual gift is accomplishing any of those missteps or those cautions, you're either misusing your spiritual gift or it's not a spiritual gift. It might just be something you're good at, an ability. See, the worst thing we can do when it comes to spiritual gifts is to give so much focus, focus, To the spiritual gifts that we neglect the giver of every good and perfect gift, right? He's the generous master giving us, lavishing upon us blessings. You see, spiritual gifts are from God and they're for God. That's a great definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are from God and they're for God. See, God is our greatest gift. That's the greatest thing you've ever received is a relationship with Him. You're a stranger and an enemy of God, and yet He loves you and He pursued you and He saved you from His wrath and gave you His Son. The greatest thing you've ever received is Him, not the manifestations. See, I believe that spiritual gifts are very profitable, extremely profitable, but we must remember who they are meant to profit, the giver of the gifts. They're meant to profit God, the local church as a whole, and the unsaved world, those that are yet to know and believe in Jesus. So here's our take-home truth, kind of boil it down into a sentence, kind of help it make sense a little bit. Here's our take-home truth today. Spiritual gifts are from God to us and exist for the common good of mankind, but mainly for the fame of Jesus and the glory of God. Let's land there. Let's be that type of church when it comes to spiritual gifts, for the glory of God, for the fame of Jesus. As I was preparing this week, kind of wrestling with this idea and trying to come to this understanding of for the common good, the benefits of them, the profitability of them, but also keeping that in line with humility and the focus, as First Peter says, for the glory of God, for the fame of Jesus. God reminded me of a song I grew up listening to. Maybe you guys are familiar with it. Do you know the song How Deep the Father's Love? You know that song? Can you hear it in your head right now? Think about it real quick. How deep the Father's love for us. You know that song? Okay. There's a verse. and God was just so gracious to me that this week as I was preparing. There's a verse that speaks perfectly about spiritual gifts in that song. And it's a great way to keep spiritual gifts in their rightful place. The benefit, the blessing, the profitability of them, but also their rightful place. I won't sing it to you because... That wouldn't be good. That's not a gift of mine. But uh, let me read it for you. What a great reminder. Here we go. It says this I will not boast in anything no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Wow. What a beautiful song. Like that's the sermon right there. What a beautiful reminder. The gifts are a blessing, amazing, accomplish so much. But if we're gonna boast in anything, it's nothing we bring to the table. It's that Jesus died for my sins and restored a broken relationship with the Heavenly Father so that I can live and make much of Him for the rest of my life. I think the thing that amazes me the most about spiritual gifts is just how unworthy we are to deserve them. Right? That's the parable of the talents, the generous master and the, lowly servant, right? Let's just for a moment, remember who we are. We're merely the servants of the master who has entrusted us with anything is amazing. But more than that, scripture tells us that we're desperate sinners who deserve nothing but the wrath of God. That's what we deserve, His wrath being poured out on us because of our sinfulness. But instead, this loving, generous God pursues us rebels and instead punishes his own son in our place and then lavishly pours out his love on us. He calls us his sons and daughters and then like a good father would he showers gifts upon his kids daily called the manifestations of the Spirit. See, the best of his gifts being his Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. It's better that I leave. And then the manifestations of the Spirit, which he pours out upon us. See, we're merely the servants in Matthew chapter 25, whom he gives big bags of gold to and entrusts them to us and calls us to be to use them and to be profitable with them for his glory and his honor. Let's be those type of faithful servants. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.